0: The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Scott Black Johnston during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Black Johnston.
1: Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. This we pray in the name of the babe toward whom we journey this night, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. At the small Lutheran church my family attended in central Minnesota, Christmas Eve was a luminous affair. Overflowing with poinsettias and warmly lit by scores of candles, The sanctuary never looked better. It was comfort food for the soul. All the hymns of the season were on the menu that night. My father's favorite was O Holy Night. When I was a teenager, O Holy Night was always performed by a burly tenor who also happened to be the town's tow truck driver a fellow named Gene. Christmas Eve was Gene's big night. Late in the service, after we had heard the prophecies from Isaiah and denunciations from Luke, after the shepherds made their headlong dash to the manger, Gene would stand to face the congregation. Starting soft and low, Gene's trembling voice would quickly crescendo. As the solo swelled to fill the room, Gene would lift his right hand, reaching for some invisible object. His outstretched arm, and in fact, Gene's whole body shook with the vibrato of his vocals. By the time he got to fall on your knees, the stained glass windows were shaking. Every year, Gene turned, oh, holy night, up to 11. Oh, hear the angels' voices. When it was over, my father would blot tears from his eyes with a pocket handkerchief. After the service exiting into the bitter cold, congregants would greet their favorite tenor, Jean, it wouldn't be Christmas without you. Riding home in the car, my mother would observe, Jean was in top form tonight. Dad would solemnly nod, and in the back seat, my brother and I would stifle laughter. It all seemed so overwrought. The, the voice, the vibrato, the tears fall on your knees. The only thing missing, as Bruce Dickinson would no doubt observe, was more cowbell. Actually, I don't want to make my brother and I out to be cynics. Not yet. We were teenagers. And the sentimentality of Christmas Eve perplexed us. Why did Gene throw himself so completely into, Oh, holy night. Is that really all it takes to reduce grown-ups to tears? a, A little vibrato from a big man? Why were our parents weeping as he belted out Behold your king! What's with these people and this Christmas hymn? In 1847, in Rookmoor, a small town in southern France, the local priest asked a wine merchant in his parish, Placide Capot, to write a Christmas hymn. Known more for his poetry than his faith, Capot, like so many honest souls, wasn't sure what he believed. Still, when the priest asked, Capot picked up his pen and began to imagine standing in the stable in Bethlehem on that sacred night so long ago. While working on the poem, Capot sought out his good friend Adolphe Adam. Adam was a well-known Jewish composer in Paris who wrote operas and ballets for French orchestras. Adam embraced the challenge with gusto. Together, the two friends finished the hymn just in time. It debuted as a soprano solo in Roquemore on Christmas Eve, 1847. Cantique de Noel as it was titled in France, was a big hit. The carol spread from church to church throughout the country. It became a Christmas Eve staple until until church authorities began to raise questions about the carol's authors. A whisper campaign rippled through the ecclesial hierarchy. Did you know that Capot flirted with atheism and criticized church leaders did you know that adam is from a jewish family can a vocal critic of the faith and a jewish musician write a christmas carol before you could say oh night divine word came down from on high cantique De Noël was to be banned in every church across France. The carol, one bishop wrote, manifest a lack of musical taste and a total absence of the spirit of religion. Curiously though, most French Christians ignored the bishop's prohibition and kept right on singing. They were not about to abandon the transcendent beauty of Adam's music, or the truth they heard in Capot's words. Among those listening to all this French singing was an American pastor by the name of John Sullivan Dwight. In 1855, Dwight first heard Cantique de Noel in his native Boston, and he was entranced. Dwight was thrilled by Adam's music, and he was moved by Capote's poetry. The pastor, you see, was an abolitionist, active in the anti-slavery movement. Dwight felt like every one of his fellow Americans needed to hear the carol's third verse. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. An evangelist for the song, Dwight translated Cantique de Noel into the English words we know so well today, O Holy Night. He published the score in his little magazine, Dwight's Journal of Music, And again, the hymn spread. Something about this carol keeps tugging at people's shirt sleeves, beckoning to their hearts, making them stop and listen. Now, fast forward with me just a little bit. It's Christmas Eve 1906. On this night, a guy named Reg Fessenden a 33-year-old Canadian scientist and former assistant to Thomas Edison did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator and a special really big antenna, Pheasanton spoke into a microphone in his lab in Brant Rock, Massachusetts. And for the first time in history, a human voice was broadcast over radio waves. What did that voice say? Well, it was Christmas Eve, so Pheasanton picked up the Gospel of Luke, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. Pheasanton read the Christmas story in a clear, strong voice. Then he put the good book down and picked up his violin and began to play. On Navy ships across the North Atlantic and in newspaper offices as far south as Norfolk, Virginia, telegraph operators sat slack-jawed. Instead of the typical long and short pulses, the dots and dashes of Morse code, a voice was emerging from the tiny speaker on their wireless. And then, wonder of wonders, a a violin began to play. The the voice started singing over the violin music. Now, Reg wasn't, according to his wife Holly, a very good vocalist, but still, he managed to croak out, Oh Holy Night, the first live music broadcast ever. O Holy Night has quite the backstory. requested by a priest, authored by a critic of the church, set to music by a Jewish composer, banned by French bishops, embraced by French people, translated into English as a rebuke to slavery, and then heard as if by magic on ships at sea Oh, Holy Night has had a tough and touching history, and maybe that's why we like it. Its pedigree, like ours, is mixed. Its reason for showing up on Christmas Eve is complicated. Still, somehow, this mongrel of a carol keeps nosing its way back into our hearts, and before you know it, we're pulling out handkerchiefs. Of course, it's probably not the hymn's history that has us dabbing at our eyes. It's the music and the poetry that grab us. Writing for The Atlantic, Emma Green argues that O Holy Night draws us in through its physicality. The notes jostle us. The the poetry prods us. Sure, the the stars are brightly shining, but humanity, in case you haven't looked lately, is a mess. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Something momentous, the carol proclaims, has happened in lowly manger. God has shown up how ought we respond oh, oh holy night is not shy in answering that question it rattles the stained glass behold pay attention change your posture before him lowly bend fall on your knees really sink to the ground done that much Is anything, even some cosmic spirit, some rumored Messiah, worth that kind of devotion? When is the last time you fell on your knees? This is, of course, a clergy person's persistent question. Who or what shall I worship? But my friends, You know this question goes way beyond any mumbling preacher. It lies at the center of every human heart. We we may not start every day thinking about it, but we spend every day answering it. Our actions, our relationships, our lives all serve as answers. Answers to life's biggest question. What grounds me? What counts as good? Who or what deserves my devotion? It's taken me a long time, but I've grown in sympathy for the shaking hand of Jean, the tow truck driver, and for the silent tears shed by my father on Christmas Eve. I I don't know exactly what Gene was reaching for, but I can guess. Maybe he was one of those people who felt like his heart's desire had always escaped his grasp. Or, Or maybe Gene was someone who spent too much time worshiping the wrong things. I've been there. Or maybe Gene was one of those people knocked to his knees, not by amazement or hope, but by heartache and loss. All of this is to say that life, with its disappointments, mistakes, gut punches, and just plain unscripted chaos, threatens to turn every human heart cold. And then and then along comes Christmas. Along comes Gene the tow truck driver, along comes O oh, Holy Night. Somehow Christmas invites us to reach out one more time in hope. Somehow Christmas tunes our ears to hear things that we thought were impossible. Where there was once only dots and dashes, suddenly, magically, there's violin music and, and, and the thunder of, of shepherds rushing toward Bethlehem. Oh, uh, Holy Night, I think, gets the undercurrent of urgency that surrounds Christmas Eve. There's, there's something going on here, something deserving of our precious attention something compelling us to look and watch and ask what's with these shepherds whose whose heart's quake like like jeans grease covered hand what are they rushing to see the simple answer i suppose is promises the the promises of Prophets like Isaiah, the promises of God, the shepherds run to see if the promises are true. Is it true that God will not leave us to face the hard stuff alone? Is it true that God will send a deliverer, a Messiah, someone honorable and fair, someone gracious and wise? someone who can knit people together and not tear us apart a prince of peace is this true the shepherds run to bethlehem to find out what did they discover at the end of their journey a stable a couple of refugees standing around a cattle trough an unwed Mother and a stressed out stepfather, it doesn't look messianic. The tableau in Bethlehem is full of all the stuff that sensible people edit out of their Christmas letters. And at that point, the shepherds could have turned away. Fake news from angels. (laughs) Another cynical ploy, bamboozled again, but, but here's the thing, the Christmas Eve thing. Instead of being disappointed, instead of feeling cheated, the shepherds pause. They set down their anxiety and their smartphones, and they watch. Something's going on here. Something different than what they wanted. Something much less and somehow a whole lot more than they expected. Something that will send a shiver up your spine. Something so intensely beautiful we can hardly bear it. Born to be our friend, he knows our need to our weakness, no stranger. Behold, your king. The shepherds fall to their knees. Of course they do. The beating heart of the cosmos has entered into the chaos of ordinary life. To you is born this day in the city of David a savior, God is with us. Amen. My friends go from here tonight, marveling with shepherds at a vulnerable infant, knowing that hope has come for us this holy night. Merry Christmas.
0: We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you and God bless.